This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The very work and the power of the righteousness of Christ coming to us because our sinfulness was placed upon him. You know why he laid the iniquity of us all upon him? So that you and I can receive the greatest benefit package of all eternity. As Pastor David continues to teach us about the benefits of God's love, he will be focusing on the specific benefit of intimacy and friendship with Christ. This benefit package is the best package ever offered, way better than any job on this planet. We so readily take benefits that are offered from our employers, but how often do we opt out of certain benefits God offers us? The benefit to know and commune with God on an intimate and friendship level is what Christ desires for us. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 5, with our continuing study entitled, The Benefits of His Love. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That word there, poured out on our hearts. That's that idea of lavished on us. He's dumped it on us. I mean, he has like taken a bucket and just completely filled us, soaked us with the reality of his love. The love of God lavished or poured out upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you know that? Do you realize that in your life? Do you understand the strength? that comes in your life when you really understand the amount of love that God has poured out in your life? If you and I can grasp that fact, the richness of what God has poured out in our life, then, beloved, in the midst of the trials and in the midst of the situations that come into our lives, we can say, oh, but God is pouring out His love. I know His love. And when the enemy comes and he begins to whisper in your ear that you're not worthy of the love of God. And, oh, I saw what you did the other day, or I saw what you did just a moment ago. I know the thoughts that you have. When the enemy comes and brings these accusations and these complaints against us, we can say, yes, but the love of God, the love of God that cleanses me from all sin. That's why Paul says, When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Now that idea, again, you you look at that and you say, well, yeah, I could understand that if there was a situation where there was a, a good man, a righteous man, that was, again, condemned to death, that perhaps someone would come in and take his place, maybe on a rare occasion. As a matter of fact, the book, The Tale of Two Cities, is written about that very thing. A man who is a drunkard and absolutely of no use to society takes the place of a good man there in prison in France, and he goes to the guillotine instead of this good man. Well, perhaps there are those occasions that might happen, but you know what? Nobody's going to do that for a bad guy. If a guy is a a murderer, a robber, and a thief, and he gets convicted, 
Who's going to come up and say, hey, you know what? I'll take his place. Let him go free. No one would. Oh, wait. Yeah, there was one, wasn't there? There was one who took his place, just as he took your place and my place. Though we were liars, we were cheats, we were adulterers, we were drunkards, we had no care for God, we were the very enemies of God, and it was appointed to us for the wrath of God and condemnation for all eternity, and none would take our place save one. And he said, Father, I'll go in his place. I'll go in her place. I'll go in their place. That's why the power of verse 8 And if you write in your Bible, and I would highly encourage you to write in your Bible, to highlight it, to mark it, whatever way that draws attention to particular verses. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a powerful verse that is. And you know what? You and I need to grab hold of that. We need to understand that. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come up and say, you know what, my blood will cover your sin if you change your life. If you turn over a new life, then my blood will cover your sin. No, we sing the old hymn, just as I am without one plea, I come, I come. Just as I And that's why The blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful. It takes us right where we are. We don't have to be able to come up to a certain level to be able to receive it. He says, I'll take you right where you are. Oh, and don't forget, beloved, he doesn't want us to stay there, but he will take you right where you are. Then in verse 9, he says, oh, and much more than, well... He's going to give this idea of not only that, but much more. He's, he's giving this benefit package out to us, and it sounds almost, it sounds almost like, uh, what's the fellow's name? Bill Mays with the Aronco commercials. Hey, we've got this salad mixer here, and it's only 1995, but not only that, there's more besides. We've got this nice set of cutlery, but not only that, there's more besides. With that, we've got the nail thing that'll do your nails, and not only that, but we've got this thing that'll vacuum your house for you, and not at all for 1995. This all comes with salvation. It all comes with what he said. And Paul says, not only that. He says, and there's more to it. And not only that. Verse 9, he says, much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So, that's another one of the benefits. We're saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God. When the word in John 3 tells us that we are condemned already, That speaks of the fact that we are facing the wrath of God outside of Christ. It's not only that we're separated from Him. It's not only that we don't have the benefits of the blessings that are His. But man, we're going to face the wrath of God. And if you are outside of Jesus Christ today, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, you need to understand that you are facing the very wrath of God. People say, well, but God is love. Yes, God is love, but God is also justice and righteous and holy. You see, the wrath of God will come upon the children of disobedience. The Word of God promises us that. We see, even now, you and I as believers, we see His discipline 
Beloved, that's not the the wrath of God in the discipline. As a matter of fact, he disciplines us out of love, not out of wrath. And aren't you glad that he does? Aren't you glad that his discipline comes to us in order to bring correction and to draw us back to himself? That reconciliation. God desires that we be reconciled back to him. And because when we come to Christ... We are His. We are His children now. That removes the possibility of the future wrath of God coming on our lives. Well, the wrath will come on all those who do not know Him, who do not receive Him. In that day, the Word declares that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. And all you've got to do is look back in the book of Revelation and you see the very wrath of God being poured out on an earth and on the people of the earth that have continually shaken their fist. And it's interesting that even when his wrath begins, the book of Revelation says that men still raise their fist to God and curse him, even in the midst of beginning of the receiving of his wrath. But beloved, one of the benefits of our package is, is we no longer have the wrath of God. We're saved from the wrath of God. Verse 10 For if then we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, again, much more, having been reconciled, will be saved by his life. And again, another great benefit. We are saved. That is our salvation. That is, man, that's the fact that we receive the salvation of God. How? Through his life. Because of Christ. And verse 11, and not only that, there's more beside. And we each rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received, what is it? The reconciliation. We, this is another benefit. This is another part of our package. We have the reconciliation with God. We were separated from God. There was no way that we could know God in our lives. There was no relationship with God in our lives until we come to Jesus Christ, until we come to faith in the completed work of Christ on the cross and the reality and the hope of the resurrection that that was done in him and the hope of our resurrection. It says at that point now, we are now reconciled to God. We can be known, gang, as a friend of God, a friend of God. Of God. I don't know if you think about that very much, but as one of the beloved, as one of the children of God, not only are you his child and you have that access to be able to rush in and say, Daddy, Abba, Father, but that whole idea of being a friend of God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm now a friend. James 2.23 says that Scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So again, James agreeing with Paul here about this whole idea of the righteousness of Abraham through belief, and he says that Abraham was called the friend of God, and in the same way, you and I, when we acquire that same belief, and we are brought into the family of faith, that we too now are called the friends of God. What a great blessing. What a great benefit that's ours. In verse 12, he begins a kind of a whole new section. It's spun off of the truth of what he's given us in verses 1 to 11. But he starts speaking in, in a different way, and we'll look at that. He says, 
In verse 12, again, he begins with that, therefore, since all of these things are ours because of the work that God has done in our lives, therefore, he says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, at this point in time, he puts his big parenthesis in, and that parenthesis actually goes all the way to verse 18. Now, I'm going to read through these things, but then I want to come back and kind of pull these deals together. Verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Then verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many." And the gift is not like that which was which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. End of parenthesis. Paul does this greatly and, and expertly, even as he lays out in many of his books. But you have to think as you go through it to see, okay, where is he going with this? If we take verse 13 through verse 17, set them aside as just kind of a sidebar right now. Listen to what it reads or how it reads when you take 12 and bring it right into 13. Therefore, verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned, verse 18, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift to all men resulted in justification of life. And then 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were will be made righteous. What he is doing here is he is throwing in the comparison of Adam and Jesus. The one man, Adam, to which sin entered into the human race, and all of sin because of Adam's sin. We have a sin nature because of that. But now because of Christ, because of his righteousness, those who come to him, those who have faith in him, receive the very righteousness of Christ. We look at it, and he says some of the things that were kind of uh, confusing in those verses 13 through 17. He says in verse 13 that until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him was, who was to come. In essence, what he's saying is that Adam had the law when he was in the garden. When he was in the garden, you remember the law that he had? God says, here's all the trees and all the fruit of the garden. 
And you can eat all of these, from all of these trees and all of these, all of their fruit. Except this one. Don't eat of this one. Now that's a multi-layered law, huh? You got one rule you've got to keep. Just don't eat from that one tree. And that's how I can relate to Adam so easily. Because even if there was one rule, I would break it. And in the same way, Adam broke that one law. It was a direct law that was given by God himself. It says that Adam had the opportunity to walk with God in the cool of the evening. The intimacy of the relationship that Adam had with God is something that you and I, and there's, it's, it's unfathomable to be able to experience that kind of a relationship. And God says, Adam, this is all yours. You have dominion over it all. There's only one thing that I'm commanding you. There is only one law that I'm giving you, Adam, here in this pristine location, without influence of of any other sort. Oh, except there was that influence, wasn't there? Satan himself, the serpent himself, influencing Eve, and then Eve speaking to Adam, and Adam buying into the whole thing. But the law was given to Adam. Don't eat from this one tree. And so he did eat, and he sinned. Beyond that, from Adam being removed from the garden, all the way from the time of the flood of Noah, to Abraham being called out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees and down and God showing him the land, the, the birth of Isaac and Jacob and the children that came, all the time to the, the point of their being in slavery in Egypt, that direct correlation of a specific law was not given until Moses gave the law there from Mount Sinai as God gave it to Moses. Adam had that one specific law. Moses came down with a set of Ten Commandments. Well, wasn't there sin still? Oh, yeah, man still sinned in between the two. Well, how did they sin? And that's what this whole deal about the even though the law wasn't there and yet sin is still there. It wasn't imputed because it wasn't a law, but it was still there. See, it goes back to Romans chapter 1, where it says God has made himself known to man, and yet man continues to reject, continued to reject him. God made himself known in the internal being of a man, in the spirit of a man, as well as in all creation. And yet man continued to deny God, to shake his fist at God, and said, I'm going to live life my own way, and I'm going to walk away from any knowledge or understanding of you. And so, see, man is still sinful. Even when there wasn't the direct law, man continued to rebel against the very being and essence of God in their life. That's what he's speaking about here. In verse 15, he goes on. He says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So it speaks about that place of Adam in all of creation, and now the place of Christ in all of creation. He says, one brought the offense, the other brought grace. One brought the condemnation, the death. One brought life. Verse 16, he goes on. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, this grace, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. There was one offense, it brought condemnation. There was one gift of grace, it brought justification. 
He goes on in verse 17, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Then we get into verse 18. He says, Through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. So, Adam had the one man's offense. Jesus was the one man's righteousness. In Adam, judgment came to all. In Christ, grace came to all. In Adam, result was condemnation. In Jesus, the result is justification. And that's what he's bringing about here. He says in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Again, Adam's disobedience, Jesus' obedience. In Adam, all are made sinners, and in Christ, many or the whosoever that the Scripture speaks about, they are made righteous. You see, it's not imputed in the same way that the the sin of Adam was. In Adam, all fell. But in Christ, the availability is there for all. But the Word of God speaks that whoever will call, that if you would call. You see, the choice, really and truly, now at this point, becomes ours. It's available to us. Why? Not because of our righteousness, but because of the very righteousness of Christ. He speaks about this relationship of Adam and Christ throughout his writings. He speaks in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For since by man came death, speaking of Adam, by man, speaking of Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Same idea, the same thought. A little bit later in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, he says, And so it's written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In other words, the power and the supremacy of Christ over Adam. But all of these come from that passage that we read about that's so familiar to so many believers. It's found in Isaiah chapter 53. This whole idea, this whole thought, not only of the sinfulness of man, but now the righteousness of God that's available to man. In Isaiah 53, we read these words. Surely he, speaking of Christ, has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He said, oh, it's, it's his fault. That's what man was thinking at that time. But all the time, no, it was our sin that was on him. He goes on to say he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The very work and the power of the righteousness of Christ coming to us because our sinfulness was placed upon him. You know why he laid the iniquity of us all upon him? So that you and I can receive the greatest benefit package of all eternity. That we could receive the benefit of salvation. The closeness, relationship with God. The hope 
that's ours in the completeness of God. The richness that's ours in knowing God. The access that's ours to be able to come and commune with God. And the only way that that was going to be available was that if all of our sin was placed upon Him. By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. And through Him, all are sinners. And yet by one man, Christ, hope, redemption, and righteousness came into the world that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. For worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.